Hello and welcome to episode number two of the Phillies Focus podcast. A few things I will be covering on today's episode is the unfortunate injury of Reese Hoskins. I'll be recapping his five years spent with the Phillies and kind of what he meant to the team and the city during his tenure. So there will not be a contract extension with Aaron Nola before the season and ultimately before he hits free agency after the season. Why I think this could be a big mistake for the Phillies. In light of Hoskins' injury, there is a lot of talk about Alec Bohm seeing a lot of time at first base this year. Why I think that could be a mistake as well. And a potential trade target to pair up with Derek Hall for a potential platoon at first base and why I think that could be a good idea. And finally, I will be making my predictions for the National League standings when all is said and done. So without further ado, let's get this started. That was manufactured in, ja- in Japan, the Mizuno bat. When I was bat boy for the Phillies, and it was oh, really? the hardest wood I had ever touched. Uh, Ruben Amaro Jr. and the countless moronic statements that have come out of his mouth throughout the years. I remember back to when he was still GM of the Phillies, and Jimmy Rollins was about to tie Mike Schmidt for all-time hits. Amaro was in the broadcasting booth that day, and I remember him saying something along the lines of he was perplexed at how there was about somewhere around an 800 difference in Jimmy Rollins and Mike Schmidt's plate appearances at the time and how their batting averages were virtually identical, being that their at-bats were the same because Mike Schmidt had close to 800 more walks than Jimmy Rollins did at the time. So essentially, he was the he had been the GM of the Phillies for almost seven years at the time, and he fundamentally did not comprehend the difference between plate appearances and at-bats and how things like interferences and walks and hit batters are different between a plate appearance and an at-bat. And he did not comprehend that and no wonder we no wonder the Phillies then spent over 4,000 days without reaching the postseason so thank you Ruben Amaro Jr. thank you for all your contributions great guy so moving on Reese Hoskins let's have a moment of silence Ah, my heart broke when I heard the news that Hoskins went down with an ACL injury. Um, when I initially heard it, 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 the the results were still coming out, but it sounded pretty dire based on early reports, and nonetheless, that's how it all came out. And it is just a huge damper on what was nothing but filled with excitement down in clear water heading into the season. Um, There's been a few of those when it comes to Suarez still not being ready and certain other injuries that have occurred. Um, Like I said in the beginning, now that Aaron Nola not getting re-signing, like a lot of us thought that he would. But this is by far the biggest damper that has occurred so far. Um, Just what a a bummer. What a bummer. Uh, It hurts me as much from a human perspective as it does from a baseball perspective. And the baseball perspective definitely hurts. A few things from a baseball perspective that Hoskins has achieved here while in Philadelphia. He, a lot of people forget, he started his career with 18 home runs in his first 34 games, which I believe set a record, a major league record for fastest to 20 home runs, I believe. I forget how how many more games after 34 that it hit it took him to hit two more but to hit 18 home runs in your first 34 games put that in perspective imagine the Phillies are 20 and 14 and they have a player with 18 home runs to start the season that's what he did when he got called up in I believe it was August of 2017 um 
So just hats off. Hats off to Reese Hoskins for the way that he came into the league and just set the tone right from the get-go with his his power. Um, Since 2017, he is 12th in all of baseball in home runs uh, with 148. He is also 38th in on or uh, OPS with 846 since that that span. So a lot of people, it's almost as if he set the tone too high when he came onto the scene because since then he has been a very, very productive major league first baseman from an offensive perspective. And yet a lot of fans in Philadelphia have continuously giving him a lot of flack for his um, his defensive um, deficiencies have been pretty profound at times, and I, for one, have never failed to critique him for that. I mean, was it really his fault that the Phillies put him in left field when we signed Santana at first base? That wasn't really a position that he was ever capable of playing, so I don't really... I'll never forget that, but I I don't really hold it against Hoskins as much as I do the Phillies' decision-making at the time. But a lot of his errors at first base, I have thought to be mental. There was the game last year, I believe it was um, in Game 2 of the NLDS against the Braves, where he, or it might have not been Game 2, but there was a moment in that series where he started celebrating a double play catch before he caught the ball. And he closed his glove too soon and and dropped the ball so it wasn't an out. So a lot of stuff like that really um, irritated me throughout the years. But I I do think from an offensive perspective, his highs and his lows, uh, particularly his lows, have been really criticized throughout the Philadelphia region. And I think that a lot of that has been really unfair because... He has been an incredibly productive offensive bat, and I'm so glad that he was able to have his moments in the playoffs last year after starting one for 19, getting booed in the opening um, introductions against Atlanta in game one, to hit that home run against Spencer Strider, who really owned him throughout the regular season. And I know Strider wasn't fully healthy at the time, but regardless to hit that home run to reignite red october in the city of philadelphia in the city of philadelphia and um i'm so glad i'm so glad that he was able to have those moments and had more uh, that was really only the start of his his postseason run offensively with all of the the timely home runs that he ended up hitting then um he had a huge one in Game 5 against the Padres uh, to open up the game and, and set the tone. And for a while there, it just seemed like every game he was he was getting big hits after after he got out of that 1-for-19 skid. So what a, what a career Hoskins has had in Philadelphia. And I'm just—it couldn't, couldn't have happened— um, what the injury couldn't have happened to a player who deserved it less in Philadelphia. Not not that anyone deserves to get injured, but I can remember after they clinched last year against the Astros, after they clinched the postseason berth after Aaron Nola's fantastic outing and then um, Zach Eflin came on to close it out. I remember Hoskins crying in the locker room talking about how much he has wanted this ever since he he came up to the big leagues and how, how much he's wanted the success for the team and the fans and for himself. And there's just such a a blue-collar, like, relatability to Reese Hoskins. Um, he's just like us. He's just like me. He He's just like all the diehard fans who want it as much as anything. And you can see that in the way that he was crying after they clinched because it's something that meant so much to him for his team to succeed and for them to win. And he cares just on a human level. And I always appreciated that by Hoskins. He's just very real. He's he's such a nice guy. And there were so many reports last year throughout the playoff run about his wife, Jamie, buying whole um, rounds of beers for entire sections and rows at in Citizens Bank Park, and I even think in 
on road games. I think that she found Phillies fans and were, were was uh, treating them to food and drinks, and they they've done outstanding charity work in Philadelphia. And I uh, I read a story the other day about his wife also sending out handwritten letters to Phillies interns um, who are interning in Clearwater, just thanking them for their contributions. So what a what an awesome couple! What an awesome what an awesome guy and uh, and girl that Reese and Jamie Hoskins have been for the team and for the city and for the community. So what a what a bummer. What a what an absolute bummer to uh put a damper heading into the season. So with that being said, what are what are they really losing? Um he had he had a really good year last year. He he hit over thirty home runs, ended up batting almost two fifty. And so it's gonna it's really going to be hard to replace his offensive production. He he batted three for a lot of the um, end of summer stretch, uh, especially when Harper went down. Once Harper came back, I believe he batted three for the remainder of the season, including the playoffs. But it's it's really going to be hard to pr- uh, replicate his production at the plate this year. So their their hands are full. Um, we'll get into that a little bit more later. So another thing I wanted to touch base on is the r- reports that. Dombrowski has come out and said that he they were there will not be an extension with Aaron Nola before opening day, which I was very surprised to hear, especially with at the time I believe there was almost a week left in possible negotiations before opening day. So I was not I was not so thrilled. I was really expecting a deal to get done, being that They've shored up so many parts of this team from a positional standpoint to starting pitching to the bullpen. We're locked in through not only this year or next year, but the majority of the team is is locked in through at least 2024. So I really thought that Aaron Nola was a pivotal a pivotal um, negotiating point in the sense that they wanted to secure him um, for the rest of his career, if not for the foreseeable future, at least five years. So I was caught off guard by this news, and I've been doing some thinking. I I do think that Dombrowski is very, very high on the young arms in the system. Obviously, Andrew Painter, Mick Abel. Griff McGarry, and I think there's a few others that the organization seems very, what what would the word be, um, just very optimistic about the future in terms of their young talent coming up through the systems as far as starting pitching prospects. So that could play a role. He might, but let's be honest, um, if we were to have two out of the three of Painter, Abel, and McGarry become above average starters, potential, you know, top three rotation guys, that would be a huge hit. And it is not likely that that's going to happen. I mean, in all likelihood, we will be very fortunate to have one of our our young arms in the minors come out to be a very top of the line starter for a long period of time. So so I'm, I am questioning Dombrowski's optimism here and his um, playing his hand. He's, he's really playing his hand, banking on Nola not getting offers in the offseason that are going to supersede what he believes Nola is worth from his own standpoint. So... There is a lot of possibility that this could all backfire. If Nola has a year even remotely in the same capacity that he did last year, he's going to get paid. If he if he pitches at least 26, 27, 28 starts and has peripherals similar to that which he has really throughout his career and also last year, he is going to get some pretty pretty uh big offers from many teams on the free agent market i mean obviously you have otani who's a free agent next year 
And then I believe you have Julio Urias from uh, the Dodgers, who is a left-handed free agent. But really, outside of those two, Nola will be the prized pitcher available on the market. So there should be no shortage of teams that will start a bidding war for his services. So it is definitely a very risky move by Dombrowski to to kind of play this season out and have confidence that we will still be able to sign him in the offseason for a deal in which we think he is worth. I know I was reading that Noah's camp was reportedly looking for at least $200 million, and it seemed like the Phillies were nowhere near that matching point. I, I presume they were probably in the area of, of, of 160 so it seems like they are in the ballpark of at least 35 to 40 million dollars apart on reaching a deal which is why negotiations were stalled until the season ends so we will see we will keep tabs on that uh towards the end of the season obviously nola's health will be imperative for his standpoint in terms of trying to get the deal that his camp believes he deserves. So from a Phillies perspective, we obviously want <laughs> Aaron Nola to have a great season and to stick up with or, or uh, continue on with his stretch of good health. However, that will be potentially a reason that he could walk at the end of the year as well in terms of getting a better offer elsewhere. So that is something that, in addition to the Hoskins news that came out last week, really got me down heading into this season. I, I was thinking we were going to head into the season healthy um, and also with a rotation secured for the foreseeable future. And now neither one of those things are coming to fruition. However, the sky is not falling, and I still very much in terms of the Hoskins injury at least, very much believe that we have a roster that can overcome that. And just about everyone, everything that I've read has said that Hoskins is 100% done for the season. There is no chance of coming back. However, I'm obviously no doctor, but I did see a best-case scenario as potentially six months. So... You remember Kyle Schwarber with the Cubs missing the entire season only to come back and I believe bat something like 11 for 17 or something in that realm in the World Series after missing the entire year and became a legend in Chicago, obviously with the way that they were able to win their first World Series and however long it was, over 100 years, I believe, um, so my thing, I'm not fully given up hope that Hoskins might not be able to come back in like a DH role at some point if the Phillies are fortunate enough to make a deep postseason run again. So we'll see. Hopefully Hoskins has not played his last game in a Phillies uniform, however likely that might be. Um, and hopefully Aaron Nola wants the he pitches his last game in the 2023 season. Hopefully that will not be his final game in a Phillies uniform as well. Just kind of to make a comparison, um, we did the same thing with Real Muto when he was going into his final year. We didn't lock him up in spring training, and there was a lot of worry uh, that we he was going to walk in free agency. We we were fortunate; it seemed like the Mets were going to make. A run at him but they did sign the catcher they had at the time to a 40 million dollar deal that kind of prevented them from pursuing real muto so that was very important at the time however it did play out in our favor and we we were able to keep him in the offseason when he was able to test out free agency so hopefully there will be a similar situation with nola after this season is all said and done so moving on, I wanted to touch base on the first base options now that Hoskins is no longer available. There has been a lot of talk about Alec Bohm moving over to first base on a lot of occasions so that Edmundo Sosa can fill in at third, move Bohm over to first, and a lot of people seem very content in that solution to this problem. My my quibble with that would be that think of how much 
Bohm progressed at third base defensively after his early season struggles last year with all of the continuous reps and the continuous work at perfecting his craft at third base there were no, there were very little variables in terms of his day-to-day starting time at, at third base which I think really helped give him the peace of mind to able to progress defensively at that position so I think that if he's say playing first base two or three times a week while the rest is at third base I think that that could show a regression in his ability to play defensively. I, I, I'm not very optimistic if he is bouncing around between third and first on a regular basis throughout the year, say when there's a left-handed starting pitcher that the Phillies are facing and they don't want to start Derek Hall, Derek Hall at first base, put Sosa at at third base, so you want a right-handed bat to play first to go against the left-handed starting pitcher. That is something that seems very likely that the Phillies will be implementing, and I'm not so sure that I like that very much in terms of, not necessarily in terms of the overall scope of the team and the team's success, but I'm thinking of the overall scope of Alec Bohm's career trajectory and how that could really stunt the progression that he's shown so much promise in over the course of the last year in at developing his his craft at third. So that's something that I'm going to keep my eye on. I'm a little bit weary about that moving forward. Something that I think I would um, very much prefer would be looking outside of the organization for a potential platoon with Derek Hall so that we all know how much Hall can smash right-handed pitching. There's no question about that. He performed very, very admirably in the DH spot when Harper went down last year and arguably was a huge reason why we ended up making the playoffs the way that we were not only able to stay afloat during Harper's absence in the early months of, of summer, but really thrive I believe we ended up going 32 and 20 without Harper last year Hall was was a very big part of that the way that he was able to hit right-handed pitching now it does seem like he's improved at hitting left-handed pitching but it also doesn't seem from what I've gathered watched and read that he is quite ready at the major league level to be an everyday player regardless of the arm of the opposing starting pitcher, meaning um, against left-handed pitchers as well. So I'm very confident with Hall from an offensive perspective. We will we will see about how he's going to work out from a defensive perspective. I know it shouldn't be that much of a drop-off from Hoskins, but I'm really not 100% sure what to expect at this point. However, like I was saying, offensively, I'm very confident in... Hall's ability to hit against left-handed pitching and and almost thrive at the major league level. However, against right-handed pitching, I think that we would need to do a platoon um, in the event, like I said, that the Phillies organization agrees about not really wanting to move Bohm over to first base on a regular occasion. I would be looking at potential trade targets if I was Dombrowski. I'm sure he all already has been doing his due diligence. A name that has been coming up a few times that I would like is a reunion name, uh, Darren Ruff. Uh, so I would love, I'm not sure if the Mets would be willing to deal him to a, a in-division opponent. However, I think that he is a surplus for the Mets, and they could be able looking to shore up other parts of their team, especially now that Edwin Diaz went down. That is going to elevate each member of their bullpen to a higher role than they previously were expecting to do. So I believe that they are looking for more bullpen depth, which is probably the biggest area of our team that is expendable right now. So we do have some guys in the minors. We have some guys at the bottom of our bullpen that we could potentially deal to get Darren Ruff, who is almost the 
a mirrored version of Derek Hall, in my opinion. A very big, powerful bat who bats very conveniently from the opposite side than Hall. So I think that they together could make a phenomenal first base platoon from an offensive perspective of power, which is really what you want from first base. You want your first baseman to hit with a lot of power. So that is a name, uh, a potential reunion target that could come full circle that um, that I would be very, very interested in if Dombrowski is looking into that and if it is a possibility and what it would take to get Hall. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where we're at heading into the season now. Uh, I touched base a lot on episode one about who I thought should make the team. It does look like the roster is fully set. They sent down Cody Clemens and Scott Kingery the other day to the minors, as well as Eric Ullman from the bullpen. So Andrew Vasquez, a left-handed uh, bullpen option, has been promoted to the eighth position in the bullpen since Suarez will not start the season um, with the team initially, elevating Matt Stram. Uh, like I touched based on last episode, it does appear Matt Stram will be the fifth uh, starter going into the season. Uh, it will be to be determined whether or not he will be stretched out more than two or three innings at the beginning of the year while we're working Suarez back into the rotation. But that elevated guys like uh, Junior Marte made the team as well as Andrew Vasquez. Another guy who is injured is Nick Nelson, so I'm not sure uh, I presume he would have made the team. I don't know over Marte, but definitely over Vasquez. So Nick Nelson is out, as well as Suarez, as well as obviously Andrew Painter. Um, I'm still keeping tabs on when he will presume throwing again, which last I heard was still scheduled for April 1st. So we'll see how that all pans out. So we have uh, Andrew Vasquez made the team, Junior Marte, and Matt Stram will be the fifth starter, elevating Bailey Falter to our fourth starter in the first week of the rotation. So things are not looking 100% like we were hoping they were going to heading into the season, but have no fear, and there shouldn't be huge reason to panic as all teams, or most teams, it, especially those battling it out in the NL East with us and those of the Mets and the Braves, they are struggling with injuries as well. The Braves' 20-plus um, game winner last year, Kyle Wright, is starting the year off on the DL. I haven't been able to look into exactly how long they expect him to be out, but he will not be beginning the year on the team. And then obviously, like we said with the Mets, Diaz is out as well. So nobody is immune to the injury bug. Uh, we're going through it right now as well as others are. So... Not huge reason to panic. The sky is not falling, as I mentioned earlier, and there's still a lot of reason for optimism. Um, we're all expecting Castellanos to have a huge back, back, uh, bounce back year, I should say, and now this will open the door for guys like Jake Cave, who had more hits than any player in spring training this year. So he's coming into the year very hot, feeding off of a very good end of the year last year. And he's a guy that is going to get a lot of a lot of opportunities for starts now to give guys like Schwarber and Castellanos both rest in the field so that they can stay in the lineup in DH now that the DH spot has become open in light of Hoskins' injury. Um, so also look out for someone like Real Muto, uh, to get rest behind the plate, and he'll get opportunities at first base as well this year. So of all positions to suffer an, uh, a season-ending season injury from, I would say first base is probably the best position for it to happen to us too if we had to choose one. So that is a, a light in the darkness in terms of Hoskins' season-ending ending injury. Oh, another thing I wanted to t touch base on, which was absolutely ridiculous and just another reason why I cannot stand referees and umpires. Any any type of referee or um umpire in any sport 
just continuously gets under my my skin because of the power that they wield and how it just so often goes to their head and they make very emotional decisions. And given it, it's still spring training, today is the last day of spring training, and yesterday was the second to last day. But did anybody see Real Muto get ejected? And I think it was the third or the fourth inning yesterday while he was... Um, he went, I guess there was a pitch clock violation that the Phillies were a little upset by. And then after the violation, Real Muto had his glove up. He was facing the pitcher. His head was facing the pitcher, so he had no vision of the umpire. And he put his glove up behind him to get a ball, and the umpire didn't, wasn't giving it to him, so he took his glove down. And right when he took his glove down, the umpire went to drop the ball into his glove. And it obviously fell in the dirt because his glove wasn't there anymore. I guess this hypersensitive, uh, fragile ego ego uh, umpire thought that Real Muto was playing a game with him. He thought that Real Muto was mocking him by taking the glove away. As if Real Muto literally had eyes behind his head and knew at that moment that he was going to drop the ball there sarcasm obviously because there was no way and Real Muto even said that after the game that he had absolutely no way of even knowing what the umpire was insinuating that he did so the umpire must have um, took it as Real Muto playing a game with him and trying to make him look like an ass and immediately ejected him the umpire immediately ejected real muto in the fourth inning of a spring training game because he took his glove away when the umpire was trying to play some ball there are you fucking kidding me like are you fucking kidding me how ridiculous is that and you know it's real muto got a lot of reps at the world baseball classic but he's still kind of getting back in the swing of things i I can't remember 100% who was pitching at the time, but I believe it, it was a newer pitcher who Real Muto is still developing chemistry with and, and getting to know. So just to, be, just to be ejected in a spring training game for something so maniacal and, and something so um, innocuous that clearly wasn't even what Real Muto was intending to do. And even if he was... So be it. Like, you're really going to eject him from that? which And he wasn't, but, like, even in that hypothetical scenario that the umpire did perceive the situation correctly, get over yourself, man. Get a, Now, I did. I was reading, I guess he uh, was a, he is a triple-A umpire who's only um, umped, I, I believe, like, 19 games as a fill-in umpire uh, in the major leagues. So I guess yet another reason for his fragile ego, um, inferiority complex much, I guess you could say. So yeah, I just wanted to touch base on how ridiculous that was. And it should be a fun year in terms of umpires exerting control because now they have more than they ever have in the past as far as timing. Uh, another thing I was reading about, a rule change that hasn't been played out in spring training because I don't believe they have instant replay but even the instant replay now has been accelerated to where I believe after the play the managers had about 10 seconds as to whether or not they could signal that they were debating whether or not they were going to review uh, the play for for a challenge now they have to immediately when the play ends they have to signal that they're contemplating a review and then after that signal they have exactly 10 seconds to file for for the the review the challenge um and after that 10 seconds is up there is zero capability of challenging a play um which i don't hate i don't really hate any of the rule changes if not i'm uh i'm a little bit excited about the pace of the game increasing and just eliminating a lot of the bullshit in between in between plays as, as in terms of players stepping outside of the box and just 20 25 30 seconds between pitches like Kenley Jansen and guys like that that take advantage um so I don't I don't hate any of the rule changes even the review but it will be interesting um, now that I am thinking talking about Real Muto getting ejected there is going to be a lot more 
power and, and control in the hands of umpires, which is, I guess, a dichotomistic aspect of the rule changes that will be something that I'm going to have to get used to, I suppose. Um, the number one rule that I cannot wait to come to the majors, um, it has been in the minors for some years now, I, I believe, is the virtual strike zone, the electronic strike zone. I cannot wait to see every strike be called a strike and every ball be called a ball and to not have to worry about the inconsistencies of home plate umpires calling a pitch that's low and outside for one team but the same exact pitch in the very next inning not being called for the other team and so on and so forth so I will now digress out of that little rant about my hatred of all things umpires and ultimately, I suppose, authority figures. So the last thing that I'm going to touch base on in today's episode is my predictions for the standings of the National League. Um, With all due respect to teams such as the Rockies, the Reds, the Pirates, and the Nationals, I uh, I will not be really including them in my predictions as I don't see them getting out of the basement of somewhere in the realm of high 60s, best case scenario for some teams, low 70s in terms of win totals. So I won't really be touching base on them. Um, some teams that I'll briefly touch base on are San Francisco Giants. I see them having a very very similar year to last year um they might in the first half of the season be hovering maybe five six games above 500 battling it out at the time but i see them finishing right around 500 like they did last year maybe a couple games under maybe 80 and 82 or 81 and 81 something in that realm so i don't really see them making serious contention to a playoff berth Um, another team that I'm very similar on are the Miami Marlins. I, I do think that they're going to have a much, much better year than they did last year. I don't even think they won 70 games last year. They're going to be close to 500 in my opinion. They have some very nice young pitching that should be coming up throughout the year as well as some established veterans, obviously reigning Cy Young winner in Sandy Alcantara, um, So the Marlins are a team that I don't think will be completing for a playoff berth, but they should be right around, if not slightly above 500, in my opinion. So I I, I see them finishing similar to the Giants. I will give them 81 wins. Let's say they finish exactly at 500 this year. Another team that I think is on the rise significantly is the Arizona Diamondbacks. I don't quite see them being at 500, but I would give them somewhere in the high 70s. They, they again, also have a, a relatively good, healthy, young starting pitching staff that should be getting better throughout the year, and as well as some top prospects coming up. Corbin Burns will get a full season under his belt after being called up towards the end of last year, so he should compete for National League Rookie of the Year. Um, so I, I'll, I will give Arizona about 77 to 78 wins this year, which is, again, a, a nice upgrade after their year last year. And they are a team that is ascending um, in the future, in my opinion. I see them on the rise with all of their young talent. If they can, in the coming years, uh, fill in some of their gaps in free agency, they, they are a team that could compete in the next few years for potential wild card burst. Another team that I believe is going to have a much better year, not only than last year, but also much better than a lot of standing prediction models for the MLB are predicting for uh, this coming year, is the Chicago Cubs. I do see the Cubs potentially competing for the final playoff spot. I don't think that they will get it, but I see them in the low to mid-80s in terms of win total. I I see guys like Seiya Suzuki having a very 
big second year. He only ended up playing somewhere around 110 games last year, and he had a he had a very nice season for his fir- first year in the major leagues. Um, he's a guy that if he can stay healthy for the duration of the year, I could see him being easy a 2020 guy uh 20 home runs 20 steals especially with uh, he was caught out a lot stealing last year but he stole for almost 10 bases and with the rule changes i definitely see him stealing for over 20 um and as well as if he can stay healthy hitting for over 20 home runs so uh, obviously, they signed Dansby Swanson, so that'll be a big upgrade in their infield. They should have one of, if not the best, defensive infields in all of baseball. Uh, up the middle, they are very, very strong and sound defensively, as well as signing Cody Bellinger to a one-year, $17 million deal to play center field uh, for them this year, which I absolutely love that move for for both parties. I loved it for the Cubs, and I love it for Cody Bellinger to try to resurrect a career that was really dying in in Los Angeles after he, he won MVP in 2019. He... He has had some atrocious seasons from the plate since then. So I really look at Bellinger to have a huge bounce back year to secure up a more long-term financial uh, a financial contract in, in the offseason. So the Cubs are my surprise success story coming out of the National League. I look for them to have 84 wins this year and play very competitive, sound baseball. A team I'm not as high on as some of the prediction models is the Milwaukee Brewers. I see them kind of battling it out for second in the NL Central with the Cubs. They ended up winning 86 games last year. The Phillies were begging for them to make the playoffs, uh, or not uh leaving the door open, I should say, for them to do whatever they wanted to to make the playoffs, and they just really faltered down the stretch. They should have overtaken the Phillies and got in, but they ended up with uh, 86 wins last year, and I see them very similar this year. I'm, I'm going to give them 85 wins, or actually, you know what? I'll, I'll tie them with the Cubs. Let's say the Cubs and the Brewers both finish with 84 wins this year. So I do see the Cardinals... I see the Cardinals as better than they were last year. Uh, Wilson Contreras, especially from an offensive perspective, is going to be a huge upgrade over Yadier Molina and his production last year. So that'll give them uh, another power bat to add to the middle of the lineup with uh, obviously Goldschmidt and Arenado, who were both playing very well in the World Baseball Classic. So the Cardinals are no joke. They should win uh, over 90 games again this year. I think they won 93 last year. So maybe not, maybe right in that area, I'll give the Cardinals 91 wins this year. Now moving back to the NL West, um, the Dodgers uh, made some shrewd moves to stay under, try to stay under the luxury cap this year. I think they ended up signing one or two players that pushed them over anyway so they will be repeat offenders and pay a larger tax bill which i read that they were trying not to do but i guess it will depend on the end of the season maybe they can make some moves in season to avoid that but all this to say that they're not as loaded as they have been in years past so i think that this is the year that the padres overtake the dodgers for kings of the nl west in terms of who wins the division Excuse me, and um, so I, I look at the Dodgers having still obviously making the playoffs and winning over ninety games. I will give them with their depth and their organizational um, intelligence. I still think that they're going to be among one of the top teams in the NL. So I will give them ninety three wins this year. Now the Padres lineup is downright stupid. It is, I mean, to, to bring in Bogarts with Soto and Machado and ultimately Tatis uh, once he comes back shortly, that is one of the best um, 
lineup, middle of the lineups I've ever really witnessed in baseball. So if they can stay healthy, I look for them to potentially. Uh, I don't. I don't know if I'm ready to say they're the favorites because I still believe that their pitching staff is very underwhelming. But with that lineup and everything, if it's if it all comes to fruition, I do believe they will win the NLS, and I will give them 97 wins this year. Check that 96. I will settle on 96 wins for the Padres, which brings us to our NL East. Now, I do see some regression happening with the Mets and the Braves. I don't see them winning 100 in games, 100 games again this year. But make no mistake, they're both still juggernauts to be reckoned with. So I will start with the Mets. I will start with the Mets. They didn't do a whole lot of adding to their offensive um, lineup. They they added a few guys. They have some prospects coming up. I, bre- I believe Brett Beatty um, is going to be on the opening day roster this year. But they obviously lost to Grom, lost Taiwan Walker, lost Chris Bassett, replaced with Justin Verlander, who was the the Japanese pitcher they got? I bo- I forget the name of the Japanese pitcher, but he's supposed to be really good this year. And then they got uh, Jose Quintana, who started for the Cardinals last year against the Phillies in the wild card round, who pitched very well. However, he is out for I believe three months to injury, so that's another injury the Mets have suffered. Their their starting rotation is older, so. I do believe that there will be a lot of games missed from their starters throughout the year due to age and durability. So the Mets, I believe, will regress this year in terms of win total. I see them right in the realm of 93 to 94, which brings us to Atlanta. So I'll settle on 94 for the Mets. I believe the Mets will finish with 94 wins. So that brings us to the Braves, who... They, I, Jose Iglesias, who they traded for from Anaheim last year, who was just absolutely lights out, which is why they let uh, Kenley Jansen walk to Boston in the offseason. They promoted him to closer, and I did see that he's also injured to start the year. So I, I have to look into both him and Kyle Wright and how long they should be sidelined for. But Altogether, the the Braves traded for Sean Murphy, who is all around a top three catcher in baseball, to pair up with Travis Darno as they traded Contreras uh, to William Contreras to Milwaukee in that deal for Sean Murphy. So they really uh, don't have a lot of high end talent in their farm system due to all these trades that they made throughout the years. But they have everybody locked up. They don't really need it. And they still bring up guys like Michael Harris and and um, Spencer Strider and all these other prospects that end up becoming elite. So you always have to have trust in the Braves organization and the way that they do things throughout the years. So I see them winning the division again. I will give the Braves 96 wins this year. Um, based on trading for Sean Murphy. They, they, they let Dansby Swanson walk, which I was a little surprised at. But I'm sure whether it's Grissom or um, I forget, or Orlando, I forget the name of the, uh, the other guy that they're going to have uh, balancing at shorts or competing at shortstop this year. But they'll figure it out. We all know they will. And maybe they'll end up having a better productive shortstop year than they would have with Dansby Swanson. I doubt it, but I will give the Braves 96 wins, which brings us to our Phillies. Hoskins going down hurts. Bryce Harper missing the first half of the season hurts. But it is not all doom and gloom. When you do break that down, you would say Hoskins would probably get in the realm of a war of three wins above replacement, so that could potentially cost them around two to three wins this year, Hoskins injury. But if you have a guy like Derek Hall, maybe he can get a war of two and maybe his replacements at first base, whether it be Real Muto Real Muto or Bohm or, you know, potentially someone outside the organization right now, 
maybe we can put together a similar situation that would have been Hoskins' production at first base. However, Harper missing the first half of the year, that should account for potentially three to four war as well um, in terms of wins that we will be leaving on the table. So there is potentiality there with Hoskins and Harper's injuries to be leaving about five to six wins on the table this year. So that hurts. That hurts. That's big. Um, as well as whatever else adversity we're going to encounter this year. But you also have to bank on the production of guys like Bryson Stott improving, Brandon Marsh improving, Alec Brome continuing his improvements from last year, carrying him into this year, and being my favorite Philly uh, for a breakout candidate to succeed this year. So we're looking at production from our starting pitching. We're looking at having one of the best bullpens in all of baseball, let alone the National League. So when you and then obviously you're bringing in a Trey Turner uh, to to shore up a spot and kind of replacing Turner in the lineup and in the defensive infield, um, replacing Segura with Turner. So huge upgrade there. So that should compensate for some of those losses and wins with guys like Harper and Hoskins, um, if not compensate for all of it. Uh, you look for Turner. With the, especially with the new rule changes and the Homer-friendly park of Citizens Bank Park. I said last time, uh, potential 25-25 guy, we're looking at a 30-30 guy, potentially. Um, so he's a guy that could realistically and legitimately win the MVP this year. So with that all said and done, I am looking at the Phillies to improve on their 87 win total from last year. I do look for them to transcend into the 90s again for the first time in over over 10 to uh, 12 years or however long it's been now. Um, so I'm looking at the Phillies to get 91 wins this year. That's my total. That is my total, which will put us comfortably in the playoffs. I, I do see the NL being identical in terms of teams that make the playoffs in terms of last year. There's not a whole lot of parity. My eyes are on the Cubs, and that's about it. The Cubs and the Brewers, I think, realistically, are the only two teams that could make some noise in terms of fighting to change last year's playoff uh, results. So that is my show today. I won't stop rambling on now here. Um, again, if you made it this far in the episode, I thank you. I thank you for listening. We are only two days away. We are two days away from finally, after what has been the shortest off season in terms of time uh, that we've ever had, but has nonetheless felt like the longest in terms of anticipation for opening day and getting ready for the excitement to try to defend our National League crown that we won last year and let's make a run again at winning the World Series in 2023 here. So again, thank you all listening for the second episode of the Phillies Focus podcast. And I will be back next week talking about regular season baseball and where we're heading after the first handful of games. So I'll talk to you then. Enjoy the game on Thursday. Thank you.